it's episode lucky 13 of the david land podcast i went into this week thinking that we were going to have absolutely nothing to talk about and then about five minutes before the show we realized we have a whole heck of a lot of things to talk about obviously the main topic since i didn't do a a, a video specifically for it is that we're going to discuss all the happenings of indycar in toronto but uh, we've got a packed show. We're going to be talking like SRX. We're going to be talking silly season. And we're going to give a preview of what we are lovingly calling Cornchella, which is the Iowa Speedway doubleheader. Because believe it or not, I haven't actually physically covered a race in about a month. So it'll be great to get back to an IndyCar race and to uh, do some in-person coverage. Uh, I want to r- do a quick rundown of a few things. Then Kyle actually has a cool story uh, to share as well from this weekend. Uh, number one shout out goes out to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Uh, they are doing, uh, they finally announced their renovation plans for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. You can find the photos everywhere. I'm hoping to have coverage of that myself on my channel uh, very shortly. Uh, I'm actually a part, I haven't even talked about this much publicly, but I'm actually a part of a uh, an advisory council, which is actually meeting this week, uh, meets once a year to help kind of, uh, you know, give give feedback on the future of the museum. And I've, I've known about these plans for a while, and I'm really excited that they finally shown them off. I think the new museum, and I say new museum because it's going to be the new interior of the museum. Those of you who maybe are worried about like the outside of it changing, don't worry, it's not changing, just the inside. And if you look at museums like the one in Barber or the one actually at Lamar that I went to, uh, there's definitely the IMS Museum, because it really has never had a major renovation, has been a step behind those uh, museums. And in my opinion, at least looking at the renders and looking at, at the plans and, and what they want to do, looks like they're going to take a step forward, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I believe the plan right now is for the museum to reopen in, in uh, early 2025. Uh, I know the, the museum closes, I think, by the end of this year, maybe early next year. But uh, that's exciting. Wanted to talk about that on the podcast really quickly. I uh, should also say, uh, if you are listening to us on uh, one of the podcasting platforms, I actually remembered, Kyle, uh, mm-hmm. you should definitely leave a rating and uh, give us a comment, hopefully positive, but I don't really care if it's a negative comment either. Um, because negative comments help us improve. A couple of news and notes things that I thought were interesting that one of them, I mean, literally just broke, even though it had been rumored for a little while. Uh, Number one, uh, for those V8 supercar fans out there, uh, Brody Kostecki is going to be racing at Indianapolis in the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, a race on August 13th in a Richard Childress racing car, number 13. Uh, Looks similar to his uh, supercar, though it's not sponsored by Monster Energy it's sponsored by Mobile X, but if we look at what uh, Shane Van Gisbergen did at Chicago, I think there's going to be very high expectations for Brody Kostecki, uh, a driver who I believe finished second in the Bathurst 1000 last year. And I just want to give a shout out to this team because I will continue to give them shout outs for doing this. This is I almost want to like do a, like a Kyle Larson video for this, but uh, sports car fans rejoice. IMSA P2 is no longer spec. <laughs> Thanks to the mad lads at Sean Creech Motorsports. I just want to, I have to shout this out. They're going to run a Lige next year full time in IMSA, moving up for the LMP3 category. You mad lads, you did it. 
You saved LMP2. I'm actually interested in that class next year because of that underdog story and the fact that that class is no longer a spec series. I just, I, I have to shout that out. I cannot wait for Daytona this year and really the rest of the MC season, literally because there's a, an extra P2 car and it's not an Orica, though it is still French with the Ligier branding. Uh, Kyle, you were at uh, a cart chaser event in North Carolina this weekend. Trackhouse motorsports park formerly gopro uh, motorsports park and uh, you witnessed uh, a, a real interesting story which i think we do need to talk about here on the channel uh, just uh, regale the viewers of this because it's pretty pretty spectacular yeah if you've if you've listened to this podcast i don't normally go into detail about like work when i'm working in karting on this podcast but this story like is just it's one of the coolest things that I've witnessed in motorsports, period, karting, IndyCar, sports cars, everything that I've witnessed uh, in my time. Um, so basically, this weekend was the IME uh, Grand National Championship, which the Sunday main paid uh, 5,000 big ones to uh, win X30 Senior. Uh, there was a couple other events that paid money, too. I think throughout the weekend, if you won everything, that you could win between KA and X30, you'd probably walk out of there with like 20, 23 grand, something like that. So a lot of money was on the line. Uh, this is one of our, this is like our second biggest race of the season in the US. And uh, in the final, uh, it came down to Joe Turney, who is a world worldwide uh, karting driver. He is a Kart Republic factory driver. Uh, he's won races in the FIA karting championship, as well as, coming over here to the states uh, which is really big for american karting to have a cart a factory driver here um he has been winning a lot in the states he's basically the guy in the world of karting right now uh as it stands and he ended up in a battle at the end of the race against a kid that i know personally um because he works for cart chaser by the name of uh, dalton haynes dalton haynes is a local gopro club racing club driver he races the club events he does weekly at gopro uh it's kind of like dirt racing where it's like you'll have local guys versus the outlaws it's kind of kind of what i can describe it as um but it's just him and his to brother put it in indycar terms this would be able motorsports winning the indy 500 yes they they went in just him and his brother shoestring budget not a single graphic on the cart but the numbers and they took it to joe turney in a one-on-one battle one of the cleanest, hardest, coolest battles I've ever seen. Like it didn't end in a, anybody crashing. Joe Turney went wide, but that was his own doing. There was not a lot of contact, just great racing. And Dalton Haynes won the race. They ended up giving him uh, a brand new chassis for winning it. They gave his brother an extra thousand dollars as like the mechanic of the of the the race award they handed out extra money to him because the it was just so phenomenal uh what happened yesterday i personally i think that that he dalton needs to be really looked at now by actual like the usf pro championship series teams i think everybody needs to take notice uh because that was one hell of a drive uh go check out plug go check out car chaser and watch just watch the the final five laps of that race if you can because that was just what a story like 
David versus Goliath and David won. And it wasn't, you know, like when, when David usually, when the small underfunded teams win in racing, it's usually a pack race at Daytona where anybody could win. It's a fuel mileage race or it's a bunch of people crash out. No, he flat out took it to the best driver in the world, arguably right now and won the thing. So what a story. So uh, since we got off to a bit of a false start, nobody saw us. Uh, nobody heard us for the first five minutes here on YouTube. It's very similar to another race. Do you know where this transition's going? IndyCar in Toronto, everybody. Raise your hand in the chat if you actually watched IndyCar in Toronto live. Uh, I would be very curious about that because I, because I am a curious soul. And we will talk about this later. And uh, I understand why the race is on Peacock. I think anybody with a brain understands why the race is on Peacock. But as a curious, a curious cat like I am, I decided to check the YouTube comments of the highlights that they posted like right after the race. And boy, oh boy, was that a bloodbath. It was a bloodbath. And of course, naturally, because my audience, they're good fans. Uh, we got a lot of uh, raising hands in the chat. Oh boy, there's a lot of raising hands in the chat. So I hope, I hope NBC appreciates that my audience supports uh, Peacock. Uh, Kyle, just get me started. Let's let's talk about Toronto. I know you're going to want to take, I'm sure, a victory lap about mm -hmm. the resurgence of the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team because it's well deserved. Uh, Christian Lundgaard finally getting into victory lane, and it was heartwarming. It was great to see and. You know, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And he beat Alex Pelot. I wouldn't necessarily say straight up. Definitely Pelot uh, had some damage. But uh, but to deny that, that Christian Lundgaard didn't deserve to win that race, I think, would be absolute folly. Lundgaard drove absolutely fantastic all weekend long. And he finally got to shave the mustache off. So, Oh, thank, thank the Lord. <laughs> you didn't like the mustache, huh? Eh, he couldn't really... It wasn't like a. It wasn't like a. Who has a good mustache? Who, who's Bobby somebody? Rahal. Yeah, it's not like it wasn't like a Bobby Rayall mustache where it was like full. It was. It looks like to be fair, I'm not making fun of the guy because it looks about what I, I look like when I try to grow a mustache. Like it's not good. We all can admit it. I would wish I could grow a mustache. It doesn't work. But so you know, thankfully he got to shave that thing. Yeah, when you're blonde, facial hair really yeah. really is a, is a struggle. That's for sure. But yeah, let's let's not talk about damn facial hair. Let's talk about the the race. Let just get me going, or or start on on a rant that you maybe have about this race. What was going on with the strategies at the end of that race? <laughs> yeah, can you can you talk through it? Because I I just I was so confused in the end when there was a the yellow flag for might have been Grosjean, Lungard pits, and a whole bunch from the pit. McLaughlin sitting second in line could have pit behind Lungard, chooses to stay out and still has to pit again under green. What what happened? And I don't know if Peacock or NBC picked up on this, but we'll power like I was watching Colton's onboard, funny enough. So it was just me and Trevor watching in the in the room and at the go-kart track. And I just had my phone up watching Colton and I saw he lets good coming to the final lap right before the pit entry, he lets Will Power by. And then Will Power immediately pits on the last lap. I don't think a lot of people, and then you catch it on the ticker, but I don't think they caught it on the broadcast that a couple guys, I think Erickson pit as well. And then yes. Colton coming across the line basically ran out. Yes. And what's really odd about all of that 
is that I'm pretty sure Alex Pillow pitted before pretty yeah. much everyone else in the field. Yeah. And yet somehow did not have fuel issues. Well, he I, was probably having to go so slow because of the wing that it, he just saved more fuel than Colton and all them. But he was, but he wasn't like getting freight trained. The guy yeah. finished second with a broken a, front wing and he pitted earlier than everybody else. He's the he, Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he, he had a gap early on, like to the point where when Lungard was passing him, he had a gap between him and Herta there where he could have saved him. I know Colton at the end of that stint from his onboard was lifting considerably early, saving fuel, basically the whole stint. If we, And if Colton made it and Will didn't, I would say that Will kind of charging Colton harder at the end means that Will feels saved a little bit less. But I think that kind of goes in a part where Polo doesn't get passed as Colton has to, the rest of the field has to feel safe. But Erickson didn't make it either. Yeah. So that... That's what really doesn't make any well, sense. Erickson None was trying this. to pass power too. I mean, both of oh, them were true. hounding Colton, but Colton couldn't get below because he was having to lift about a hundred feet early, hundred yards. But are we pretending like Pelot wasn't going hard? Like that's what's I can't weird. believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. Quite frankly, I was waiting for him to run over that wing and just seeing Pelot in the wall. Oh, I thought that's... he. I thought he was going for like the. I thought he was going to space. <laughs> Because that's I, happened at Toronto before. That happened to Paul Tracy one year where the wing got underneath the car and just sent him right into the wall. Yeah. But, I mean, so that, I, was, that was incredible. The How much of the side of the, like, end plate that got shaved off from dragging on the ground was incredible. Well, was yeah, incredible. half of it was sticking, like, a foot in the air. Yeah. The other It, got, it just it kept was... getting worse. The more it shaved off, the more it just kept tilting. Well, and it was cracking in the, like, across the center yeah. of the wing. It, yeah. It, it was right in the center to where you have where it mounts to the end. It was right in the center, which is a, a weird break. Even in like big crashes on ovals, the the nose cone doesn't crack like that. Yeah, it was it was really strange. And if you think about it, if Kirkwood doesn't run over Elio, Pelo, does Pelo win the race? Like, does he just win it straight up? I don't know, because either way, with Lungard having just pit he doesn't have to save at all. I think honestly below that front wing and the damage like had to have had to have hurt him. But I think Lungard just being able to go balls of the wall to the end and below having a fuel save was honestly the deciding factor. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have, I have a theory and a couple of other people had theories on line about the way the wing was broken that it possibly could have been a benefit not only in the majority of the, the corners, which are all what right-handed for the most part at Toronto. Um, and the wing was laying down on the right side, theoretically creating more downforce on that side, but also because half of the wing was essentially creating lift. I wonder if that was kind of acting as, D, as if it was DRS down the back straightaway. As strange as that is to say, like I, I, I wonder if that was part of it because he he seemed like a bullet in the straight line. And if he was saving fuel while doing that, like that's just the whole thing was just bananas. And, yeah. and what was weird, you mentioned NBC. I didn't because it always feels like they're on top of it. It feels like they've always been like if there's a even a chance it's going to be a fuel mileage race. Like 
the TV broadcasters are like frothing at the mouth. And in this one, it wasn't until the last lap where Kevin Lee like gets on the thing is like, Lundgaard could, could, uh, could run out. And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> and, uh, whoa, that's like a storyline. I feel like needed a little more emphasis mm-hmm. because, because if, if Lundgaard had run out like Herta did or like, Power and Eric's, they had literally had to pit again. And Polo wins that race in that fashion. It's it would have it would have been the, the greatest, you know, story of all time from that from that perspective. And I mean, without making it the Alex Polo power hour, I I is there any way that he doesn't win the championship this year? I don't know. We talked about it last week that I just I, I'm already thinking of him in my head as a two-time champion. I had hope for a little bit, not that I wanted him to, to crash or anything, but I, I did have the thought in my head. I'm like, well, I mean, even though I kind of before this race had him pegged already as a two-time champion, this is still IndyCar, and he could just have a few bad races, and Dixon just finishes in the top five, and like, oh, we're right back in this thing, because that's how IndyCar works. So, I mean, I I had ho- there was hope for a second there, but Polo being the absolute animal that he is, uh you know, put those, uh, put those to rest. We're going to know pretty well coming out of Iowa. What, what, what the championship situation is. Yeah. I think, I think it's the only chance really. And I don't even think Dixon, because Dixon's not necessarily like Iowa master by any stretch of the imagination, but new garden is and new garden lost points yeah. uh, with, with the strategy at, at Toronto. But if he goes back to back at Iowa and if Polo has a bad day, uh, you could you could make a case that Joseph Newgarden will have a shot at the title. I bet you he wishes Indy was double points again because the championship would be a heck of a lot closer if that was the case. Um, but I I think if if Polo can get through Iowa, like I I don't see anything standing in his way because essentially he can drop two races right. So if he gets through Iowa with with a two race lead, he could theoretically finish last at. Gateway and Nashville and just show up at the NDGP and Laguna Seca. And then I guess Portland and be fine because those are three tracks that traditionally he's good at <clears throat> and gateway and Nashville traditionally are tracks that he's kind of struggled a little bit at and guys like Joseph Newgarden, Scott Dixon are a little bit better at, but it won't matter because he's got over a two race lead in the championship. Yeah. So even if it's close, when you think about it too, Where's the last race at? If it's close going to the last race, go watch last year's race. I mean, what's telling you that's not going to happen again? Like, what? what's <laughs> telling you that that won't happen? Well, we'll know. Here's the thing about Pelot, too. A big part of why he had, was so dominant at Laguna Seca last year is that he did a, an engine change right before the last race. Now, he had to take a grid penalty for that, uh, but it didn't clearly didn't hurt him, did it? Mm. So... I wonder if you have a big championship lead, just do an engine swap and take the penalty and, and just turn that thing on kill mode the entire race. That's what I would do. And frankly, I'm surprised that not a lot of teams have picked up on that yet, that Polo did that. Because if you're a championship contender and you've got enough points in the bag that you can take a risk like that, do it. Or if you're like second or third, you've got nothing to lose. Do it switch the engine and just run that thing till it blows up. That's what I would do. 
because they they can kind of play with the engines and run them a little bit harder. Uh, the engines have some like wiggle room, so to speak, and they can just run them till they blow up if they want to. And I think that's kind of what happened with with Palo at Laguna Seca last year. So I'm curious about that and and see you know what what the true pace of Alex Palo is if he has an engine that's kind of equal to everybody else. But um, you know he did absolutely beat down the field and he's beat down the field pretty much at every race this year. And even when he starts mid pack has a broken front wing and has to save fuel. He still finished a second. Um, was there anything? I mean, so the first corner crash, I think has implications that maybe we're not thinking about yet because it was unfortunate that Jack Harvey was caught up in that, especially the weekend that his teammate wins the race. Somehow Graham Ray Hall misses it. Uh, Tom Bloomquist was involved in it, as well as Ryan okay, Ray. We, we need to stop saying Bloomquist. We need to start saying what his name is. Just Tom Blomquist. 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 <laughs> You're going to be saying his name for a long time, David. I'm just getting you ready. Blomquist. Okay. Blomquist was involved in that. Ryan Hunter Ray was involved in that. Uh, a whole bunch of guys, in fact, Devlin D. Francesco. A whole bunch of guys were involved in that who are going to be heavily involved in the silly season upcoming. And, you know, it's, this has been like already from an IndyCar perspective. And I guess we could, is that the next, what I've got next? No, it isn't. So I guess we'll tease uh, something we'll talk about later, but it it is always interesting to see where that, you know, cartoon anvil falls (laughs) and who it falls on. And it always feels like it falls on the guy that that needs that thing to land on him the least. I know who we're going to talk about. Roman Groshan. Mm-hmm. What the heck's going on? What, yeah, what is what the going, heck's on? going on? I just keeps crashing. I <laughs> yeah. Well, he was okay. angry. I, I forget what was he angry about at Road America during the race. I I I don't remember exactly what he was angry about. I I can guess what he would be angry about. It's the fact that the car kept going off the track. Um, I always had, was working under the theory that he damaged the car when he flew over the, the curb that one time, damaged the tub or whatever. And, and that's why he kept spinning out. Uh, n- nothing confirmed on that, but that was just always my suspicion. Um, so I don't know specifically what he was complaining about, but certainly <laughs> the road America weekend for Roman Grosjean was not pretty whatsoever. And really it hasn't been pretty since Barber. Yeah. Has he been... even finished the race? I don't know. It's been crazy to see the downfall of Grosjean this year, where we started the season, where it's like, oh, this guy's going to get his first win this season. He's going to probably maybe be a championship contender. And then, you know, the month of May happens. Was he decent at the GP? No, I don't. I think the GP was the first race where he was just nothing went right for him at all. I feel I feel like he was involved in something. He either hit somebody or somebody hit him at the GP. But I'll, I remember that he just had no pace and then did nothing during the month of May and then crashed, crashed. pretty much the same way he crashed last year at the 500. Yeah. All, yeah. I mean, it, it looked like a replay. It yeah. really did. And, uh, then... and you can't be doing that. Like if, if we've learned anything about IndyCar drivers, if you crash the 500 and you're a full-time guy and you even have a hint that you're on a hot seat, 
that does not help your case whatsoever to do that. And then Detroit wasn't he? There were a few races where nothing. Detroit, he crashed. Know, he crashed. He crashed at Detroit. Yeah, I was half yeah. a, half asleep and it was like midnight in France, but I'm pretty sure he crashed at De Detroit. Okay, well then a few crashes later, and we're at this point in the season where we're past the midpoint, and uh, Grosjean has no wins, and yeah, there's no sign of it getting better. No, uh, and and I mean I well let's okay let's let's pump the brakes real quick because yes I think Grosjean is his seat has gotten extremely hot, and I don't think it's going to cool off. But he was very strong at Texas this year. And Iowa, I look at as a mini Texas. So maybe Grosjean can put together a couple of strong races. Let's say he finished a second or third or something like that. Goes up there, runs at the front. And, you know, I, I don't know if it makes up for anything that he's done already. But I think if he just starts, you know, performing a little bit better. His his case will be better made to stay at Andretti. I, I remember what happened at the GP with him. He was like screaming at his crew. Yeah. Remember that? Was that the GP or was that the month of May? It's a GP because he's wearing like the purple yeah. suit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, with that happening and then at Road America, I remember like kind of the same thing happening where he was just really mad at the crew, at the at the team. I mm. That, he that's like blamed also them not for good. the steering wheel falling out of his hand at Toronto, which I thought was bizarre. Yeah, that's also not good. Yeah. If you're already on the hot seat, and he's got a nice cushy seat and a Lamborghini uh, LMDH <laughs> that he can just go get in. Well, and and consider this: there are seats opening up at other IndyCar teams, including Dale Coin Racing, which, as far as I know, uh, he doesn't have a bad relationship with. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I don't think he's done in Indy cars, even if he leaves Andretti. But I also, I also would tend to agree with a lot of people publicly and privately that I, I, I think that Grosjean has not done his his Andretti career many favors. The only thing that might save him is the fact that Andretti's looking at making that twenty nine car. They've already said. I don't know where they've already they, said. They've already said he's gone. Okay, so Devlin's gone, right? They've already said that they want to make that a paid driver and not a paying driver. Correct. So let's say you bring in a Marcus Erickson and you still have an extra seat available. There's nothing, there's nothing necessarily stopping you outside of budget, of course, from keeping Roman Grosjean at Andretti Autosport. The, the question is, do you want to continue? Can you let this continue? Even if you have the budget or do you go get a Louis Foster and bring him up into the, into that seat? That that's, I guess where you would, have to sit there and say, okay, you know, weighing, weighing the, the, you know, doing the, the cost benefit analysis of which driver has a higher upside at this point in their careers. I know uh, we're, we're already getting into the silly season discussion. We're going to, we're going to put some, put some water on that real quick because I think we, we will get back to that by the way, because there's like crap happening all over the place, uh, which all seems to tie into one another, I would say in, in a lot of ways. Uh, including Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar, all that stuff. I, I do want to talk about peacock races really quick because it felt like I saw some like boomer meme out there. I don't remember where it came from, but it was like a quote of Alexander Rossi that was like, just shut up and pay the 499. And like to a certain extent, I like, okay, yeah, 
sure. But at the same time, like, don't. That's not the way to make someone want to buy the Peacock subscription. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you gotta, you gotta get them with the honey, not the bees. In this case, like, the yes, like we we all buy stuff that's frivolous. We all spend five dollars at least on a Starbucks. Uh, but you've got to be very careful to not have contempt for your audience. And I will tell you this. This was the one thing. And I didn't tweet this because maybe it changed when the race actually came on. But I know five minutes before the race, when I opened up Peacock, the IndyCar race was not on the front page. I had to scroll about five. It was on the main page. I will give them credit. But you had to scroll down about five categories and then go over like three. No, nobody casual was ever going to find that race. Nobody tuning in to watch The Office for the 1500th time was ever going to see that race. And that's why I made the point on Twitter, especially once the NASCAR race got canceled, they should have simulcast that thing instantly. And I know why they didn't, because they want their $5 subscriptions and they have a contract that says, well, we have to have a race on Peacock. But for the good of the sport, I think that's what they should have done instead of show Law and Order SVU. That's my opinion. I don't know, Kyle. What do you think of this debate about Peacock? Yeah, I I feel like it would have been better to have it on TV. I mean, personally, to me, it's hard to like have an opinion because I already watch all the races on Peacock. Like most of the time, I'm not home. When I am home, I'm watching them on Peacock. So, I mean, I. It is tough because like even in a in a time where like I don't have cable or satellite, I have my fire stick and I use a, a TV provider called Fubo TV. And even if I have like I'm not on cable, I still watch, you know, regular TV channels. So when we have this argument, when we've been having this discussion, it's when are these series going to go to streaming? Well, TV has already gone to streaming. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like yeah. I'm watching, I'm watching uh, NBC or USA when I'm watching the IndyCar races on Fubo, if I'm not watching it on Peacock. Uh, so just putting it exclusively on Peacock, I don't think is the right way. I don't really, I mean, I, I know they want their subscriptions, but I don't think it's really the right way to, you know, because like I said, like TV is already going to streaming. I mean, I guess we all do pay for like our Netflix and Hulu and like all the different providers on top of TV, but like everything's already to streaming. So when NASCAR and IndyCar have the discussion every year of uh, what's the TV contract going to be, I know they're all going to streaming. I don't think even the NFL going like to prime, like I, I, I don't know if that's really the direction you want to go. Well, let, let's put it in very simple terms. It's in terms that, that I think you can explain very well. You know, I think, and, and we had this, in fact, it's going to be another talking point entirely during this podcast, but I think it's worth bringing up. I think we all appreciate and we understand and we like the fact that, that flow and dirt vision do what they do. Does do but let's look at this objectively. Do flow and dirt vision grow dirt racing outside of its core fan base? No. 
Not right. No. Right. So, it, like, if you're on a streaming service, it may provide excellent coverage, top-notch, you know, exactly what you want when you want it. But in an industry that is, you know, IndyCar is probably, if not a billion-dollar industry, it's probably, a you know, several hundred million dollar industry per year. If you put that on Peacock in front of, you know, let, let's be very generous and say 70,000 people watched the race on Peacock. Um, is that, is that worth a hundred million dollars or whatever it takes to put on an IndyCar race or put on an entire, you know, cause it, cause we all, I think we all realize that one Peacock race is not going to be, uh, is not going, it's, it's not going to be just one Peacock race going forward. Like the next TV contract, it's probably going to be two or three. And the next TV contract after that, it might be three or four. So like, we're not going back. <laughs> but the question is, are people going to look at Peacock like they look at NBC? Or are they going to be able to find races on Peacock the way they would be able to channel scroll on NBC. Is it that, is that ever going to be our reality? That's the question uh, I have. I, I don't think so. Honestly. I, yeah, I don't think so. So that's, that's the question I have. And that's what I'm kind of wrestling with. And I'm sure the entire industry is wrestling with is like, because there's no clear, they're, I mean, you even brought up a great example, which is the NFL. Do we really think Prime Video is like going to is like a front runner? Do I do I open up Prime Video for literally anything other than the 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 very specific Thursday night football game that my specific team is playing? No. So, like, I I mean, maybe I watch like an episode of Star Trek like once on Prime Video. But like outside of that, do I open that app up for anything? Nope. Do I open up Peacock for anything other than IndyCar? Nope. So like I that's not a good growth strategy. I guess we'll look at it that way. And sure, you can you can ring every IndyCar fan out of 499, but how many IndyCar fans are there? Like there is a there is a ceiling there. And is that a ceiling that's going to raise? These are the questions that keep me up at night. Do you think it's because, like, are there are there numbers out there on these peacock races? Generally, they're not published, no. Yeah. Because it's not like TV where there's, like, Nielsen ratings. Or even, like, YouTube where you literally just have the number of how many people watched. Like, they just keep – because it's their own streaming – like. Yeah. NBC goes out on a cable box that, well, now that they own Xfinity, it's a whole different kettle of fish. But, like, when this system was set up, the cable box wasn't owned by the TV company, right? So, like, there was a way to aggregate the data. But since NBC owns Peacock, and that's their proprietary, like, they can keep trade secrets. And I guess, in some ways, the viewership is a trade secret. Like specific numbers. I mean, they they say like watch hours sometimes, and sometimes they give like a general, uh, like this is how many people watched on Peacock sort of thing, but it's not specific, and so you never really have an idea. 
I don't think. And, and maybe someday there will be a way to track that stuff accurately. But as far as I know, it doesn't exist yet. So do you think that's a that's a reason uh, because they don't have to publish the views? They don't have to because I always look at it like on a normal NBC race. If IndyCar goes over a million viewers, now granted the Nielsen ratings are weird because it's like it's not like that's like a million people watched all, but you know when it's over a million, it's like man, a million people watched an IndyCar race. That's pretty cool. How many people do you think watched the Peacock race? <laughs> I, I already said I'm being, being generous. <laughs> and there's also not that like. If IndyCar gets a bad rating, there's also not that negative, you know, feeling of, oh, that was a bad rating because you don't know. So do you think that's one of the reasons we could be going to Peacock? How are teams going to sell sponsors on that? How can a team just go, well, we don't know the numbers. You just have to trust us. Everybody's watching on Peacock. That's a tough sell. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough sell. And I'm sure there's data available to teams that we don't have. I, yeah. I know a lot of t sometimes I will know what the TV number was way before because people from teams will tell tell me, and it's like, oh, okay, like they get that early. Um, the the best way you can tell, even even with Peacock streaming, I would almost guarantee the best way you can tell if a TV rating is going to be good is either the series or NBC will brag about it on Monday because the TV rating usually comes out around Tuesday or Wednesday. If this race had broken a Peacock record, even for IndyCar, if it would have been like, this is the biggest Peacock race, like we just met, you would have heard about it already. And so even if you don't have a specific number on Peacock or a specific number for a TV rating, you can tell. Like I, I think it was the Daytona 500 a couple of years ago that like the rating was delayed or whatever, and like there was no bragging whatsoever. And I sat there and I said, Ooh, the ratings bad. Like the ratings are real bad because they are not, they're not drawing any attention to this whatsoever. Um, and, but, but again, that's not a metric that you can sell to yeah. a sponsor. So I, yeah, I, 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 this is, this is higher IQ stuff than, than certainly this show is capable of to understand this. Like, cause I, I certainly don't. I don't either. I don't know. This is the wacky and wild world we're heading into because you're right. TV is now on streaming. So we really haven't lost cable. Cable's just on your fire stick now. Yeah. It's been that way for me for, I switched over at this point, probably five or six years ago. Like it's, it's been a while now. <laughs> so why do we need apps? That's what I'm saying. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. well, it's like on demand, I guess. Yeah, like on demand is great, but like live sports are different. Like a live yeah, sport know. on an app, I don't think makes sense. Yeah, lives. That's the only reason I have a cable subscription now. I'm not watching regular ass TV. I'm turning on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I watch YouTube on my TV. That is what I watch at night. I don't watch TV. And I'm 30. I'm 30 now. I've, I've turned the big 3-0, yeah. by the way. I'm, I'm an old man. I'm an old man, and I watch YouTube on my TV. I have a YouTube app on my TV. I turn that on. I pay for cable. What I pay for cable is so I can watch the Chili Bowl, so I can watch NFL games, 
so I can watch IndyCar when I'm not there, so I can watch NASCAR, watch IMSA. I, I don't I don't have cable to watch reruns as much as I like it. I, I don't watch I don't have cable to watch reruns of Home Improvement. Yeah. Like if I want to watch Home Improvement, I'll get Disney Plus up or whatever. Yeah. I'm not waiting for TBS to show it with commercials. I don't know. It's weird. I will say this. The one thing that I appreciate about Peacock, yes, they showed commercials, but there was not a single, there was not a single, because I kept track of it. There was not a single pharmaceutical or dick pill commercial. Not a single one. <laughs> so, you know yeah, what? They were, all, they were all Peacock commercials about soccer. <laughs> well, I, I saw a Downey commercial. I saw like Shell, Honda. Like it was the regular one, but you, at least it wasn't like, do you have misophilioma? Like I, I'm so tired or whatever. It packs Lovid. What's yeah. the other one? Um, what's the one on all, on all the nest? I'll tell you what that Xfinity race in Atlanta. I've never seen more pharmaceutical ads on one race in my entire life. I couldn't even believe that it was like three yeah. in a row. And they come. I, <laughs> I watched it in the hotel room and even, even Trevor uh, pointed out. Is that com- what, what did they say in the commercial? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was some. Yeah, because it was Peroni's disease. They were talking about Peroni's disease. Ay, ay, ay. You want to talk about an aging fan base. So when we're worried about Peroni's disease. Oh, God. All right. Uh, continuing on the TV rating discussion. As it turns out, it's not as good to be on ESPN as perhaps we thought before. Let me see if I can find this because I've lost the tweet. The specific number for SRX on ESPN, Brace for Impact, folks, was three uh, 395,000 viewers, uh, which is down more or less because they averaged about a million viewers on CBS. 700,000 people gone from the SRX broadcasts when they switched from uh, CBS to ESPN, Thursday Night Thunder. The return of Thursday Night Thunder and to continue the sprint car discussion, there was a very strange conflict, which I didn't think would necessarily affect the SRX rating, but I think it did. The Eldora, was it the Eldora Million or was it the King's Royal? The Million. It was the the million. million. The Eldora Million went directly up against SRX. By the way, both of these things are Tony Stewart-owned properties. Kyle, Why? <laughs> Yeah, that was a question I think everybody had going into this, going into it. I, I saw some Facebook memes about it. I saw some, a lot of chatter about it. I have no freaking clue. Like what, the the way they scheduled the million to be on that Thursday, a million, Tony Stewart mil, paid a million dollars to a winner of a sprint car race and wasn't even there to give him the money. <laughs> I, I I don't understand that. Because he all. was getting paid a million dollars from ESPN. That that's the quite that's the one thing I will say is that I and I don't again this is this would be an Adam Stern question. Did ESPN pay for SRX to get a just something that got some viewers on a Thursday night? Because I I'm curious what 400,000 viewers compares to just a a bum ass middle of July episode of Sports Center where they're talking about the WNBA and tennis. Like, are there more people tuning in to watch an auto race, even if it's 400,000 and that's way down on the number that SRX used to get? 
But is at least ESPN able to say, look, this is bigger than anything else we've got going on on a Thursday night? That That's the one positive I could maybe take away from this. Did, did, did ESPN buy this expecting a million viewers out of the box? Or did they buy this saying, look, we're going to lose some viewers, but it's going to be better than everything else that we could put in this time slot? No idea. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you one thing that I don't like about SRX now is it's doing the IROC thing. It's doing the IROC thing, which is, if you don't know what the IROC thing is, and yeah. I and I miss true golden days of IROC, like when they would run like road course, like they ran at yeah, road courses. Uh, they used to have F one World Champions show up and run these races. It was it was IROC one in Mid Ohio. Truly, there you go, Tr- truly the international race of champions. By the time I started watching, and it, I still I have a very soft spot in my heart for IROC. I have a very soft spot in my heart for SRX, but. You know, when I started watching IROC, there was still a good mix of drivers. You would get a World of Outlaws guy, you get an IMSA guy, you get a Trans Am guy, you get an IndyCar guy, you get an IRL guy, you get NASCAR guys, Bush, trucks, everything. Everybody would be represented. But as the series started to die, it became heavy NASCAR Cup Series to the point where they would take away the number, like they got rid of the random colors and the random numbers of the cars and started giving the NASCAR guys their color and number and sponsors on their car. And it, it turned into like NASCAR lights. And it was just like, what are we doing? And, and by the time they actually said, Oh, we went too far and started adding kind of cool things like the Daytona road course back to IROC, the series was dead. And now we're back with SRX where SRX is definitely not IROC. It it's, it's got, it's like a distant cousin. There's a lot of stuff about SRX that's similar to IROC. But SRX was truly a unique series early on because of its emphasis not only on short tracks, but also lifting up the sh- local short track star. I thought that was the best thing that SRX did was even if they sucked, these guys got put on a national stage and got to race against Elio Castroneves, Tony Stewart, and, and all these guys who are you know, massive, massive stars. Never get another chance to race against them again in a lot of ways. Or... In the case of Doug Kobe, he actually won a race and got some opportunities in a NASCAR truck to race. So, like, I, I'm i disappointed that they got rid of the local star. I think that's a big thing that I'm disappointed in SRX. And, and we all know pretty much that ESPN was pushing for as many cup guys as we can get because NASCAR sells. Well, how'd that go for it? I yeah, know. I mean... I think uh, another name that sticks out to me is Ernie Francis, who wasn't oh, really yeah. a local star, but that's a kid that I, it feels like it is a lot more NASCAR Cup heavy this season. Um, but I feel like I kind of wanted a little bit more of that because like in the past, the past few seasons, it's been less, you know, full time, like full time current drivers and more like stars of the past. And there'd be like maybe one or two that run currently. And then, like, one race, you maybe get, like, New Garden. But, I mean, I, I I, feel like we needed a couple more cup drivers, but it feels like a lot, especially with the first race. We'll see as the season goes on. I'm not sure who's going where, but it is a lot of cup series drivers. Well, and that's the thing. If, if you are going to do the IROC thing, then you need to, like, get IndyCar guys in there. You need to get IMSA guys in there. You need to have a real mix again. You can't just have – because – you. you this is this is something this is just advice just in general everyone you can't out nascar nascar 
Yeah. You can't do NASCAR. Like NASCAR does its own thing and is successful, but anybody who tries to emulate that just hurts themselves. It, it time and time again, we see this. If you chase NASCAR, it's a path to uh, destruction and ruin. It seems like NASCAR can do get away with what NASCAR does because they're NASCAR. If you're SRX, if you're IndyCar, if you're IMSA, if you're drag racing, you can't do what NASCAR does because it just doesn't work ever. And so SRX needs to be very careful not to just lose its identity because their TV partner thinks they know best because they sit in Bristol, Connecticut, and they think they know better than Tony Stewart like that. But that's not I thought Tony Stewart and Ray Everham's original concept and, and um, Donald Hawk or whatever. Is, is it Donald Hawk? Yeah, Don Hawk. Don Hawk. Yeah. Those three guys had a, had a vision for the series, and the first two seasons I thought really showed off that that vision was a successful one, and it got TV ratings that are on par with what we can now expect. We were just talking about a million viewers. That's not only IndyCar's TV number in this country; that's Formula One's TV net, uh, you know, rating in this country. So, like, they had it; they they had the formula. It was there. They 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 found out how to get a million people to tune in to watch racing. And that's hard to do these days. I I do feel like the Eldora Million clash kind of contributed to that. Even though Flow is a pay service, I feel like a lot of the same fans, because the Eldora Million was a huge deal in the, the you know dirt racing short track uh, community. I mean, that, that was a big event. That was the hot, most paying sprint car race ever um so and they streamed like a that, whole lot of it on youtube right yeah there was I mean, a lot I, yeah. that was free like that i think they streamed free on youtube until the heats which i can't really say much because that's what car chaser goes does i mean i know for dirt racing the uh subscription money uh that they get from the streaming is very beneficial and contributes a lot and i'm sure with the growth in sprint car racing we've seen the last two or three seasons that that subscription money has had a lot to do with that so i mean it's it's tough it's tricky like because if that did take away from srx's uh viewership then it'd be very easy to say you know hey this was the viewership on flow this was srx's viewership maybe we should get a slot on television for you know the million (laughs) or the king's world next year maybe just as a one-off you know so i don't know it's a it's a slippery slope if you if if they had TV money, I'd hope it'd be like two million dollars, because then yeah. you'd have a hell of a show. If that happened. Yeah. But now, now let me ask a question because I, I before we get way way off in the weeds about this, I do want to ask one question, which is, did, did was there any prize money for the rest of the field, or was that a winner take all race? Uh, rest of the field, the whole field. I think it paid like six or eight thousand to finish last. So what was the overall purse of the Eldora million? It obviously wasn't just a million dollars. I think it was like 1.2 million or 1.3. Okay. I mean, that's obviously, there's obviously a big gap between first and second. Yeah. <laughs> like I think second got like a, a solid 300,000. Oh, okay. racing. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> sprint car racing, that's still more than, I think second place still paid around the same or more as winning like the Knoxville Nationals or the Kings Royal. The Kings Royal pays 175,000 and the Knoxville Nationals pays 150 but you get a thousand for every lap you lead. So Larson ended up when he won in 21 I remember. 
he ended up winning 170 like six thousand. So he won the same amount he won for one, winning the King's Royal, anyways. So yeah. It is crazy too, because I remember going to uh the King's Royal two years ago, or I mean last year too. The last two years that they did, you know, they had to run two King's Royals in 21 because of COVID the year before. And they ran the historical big one in the King's Royal last year, and they both paid both of those races in the same week paid 170,000 to win. So I thought I remember everyone saying that was a lot. You know, it's like, oh, big week of money we have here. Yeah, no, this week they had the Eldora Million on Thursday, and then we had the King's Royal that pays obviously 175000 on Saturday within two days of each other. So, yeah, what a heck of a weekend there. I mean, I know that was a big deal. The crowd on Saturday at Eldora was the largest crowd in Eldora history ever, um, which is another interesting thing to think about on the scheduling of the million because it was on a Thursday, so a lot of people had to work the next day had to work that day so the, the it's funny that the king's royal attendance was higher than the one that paid a million dollars to the winner and that and was that also another pretty much shut sprint car racing around the country down i know yeah. the pa didn't run at all <laughs> oh yeah there were yeah there were 83 entries and like most of them were pa like that for 83 entries that's that's around the same as knoxville gets and at eldora that's unheard of that's insane jeez well, I mean, if this becomes a yearly event, I mean, this is going to become one of the crown jewels of sprint car racing. There's no doubt about it. A part of me thinks that the million is going to become like a bi-yearly thing where they're going to switch it between the late models and the sprint cars. Mm. That is my hunch. That's what I think is going to happen. But so I, I had a discussion about this. We're getting way out in the weeds now. But I had a discussion <laughs> about this on Twitter where I personally have said that I would rather win the King's Royal than the million because the King's Royal has more history. You know, you get to be in a list of names that is very historic. You know, you get to be on a long list of legends. If you win the King's Royal, that's a big, that's a big deal. Kind of like, and the Knoxville nationals, like those two races I'd rather win than a race that pays a million dollars. Someone said to me that it's hard to tell without the knowing the history of the million. But would you rather be a, on a long list of drivers who have won the King's Royal, the Knoxville Nationals, or the guy, the only guy to win a million dollars? Well, the million dollars would keep me so, uh, racing for a while. <laughs> yeah. So that that honestly made me think, like, maybe if the if the million or races like this weren't a yearly thing, and they were only every few years, if maybe that race would almost be a bigger deal. Maybe. I never thought about it that way until uh, uh, some generous person told me that on Twitter. And I was like, huh, yeah, you're kind of right. Twitter. How, how's your uh, how's your threads doing? I haven't started that thing yet. It's, it's okay. I think a lot of people are kind of angry, or not angry, but just kind of let down by threads because you can't DM people. And it's kind of like... You can't DM people in threads. Isn't that weird? But like, that's all Twitter's good for is the DM. It's a DM machine. Is what yeah. Twitter, that's what Twitter actually is like useful for is the, is the DM. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a weird app. I haven't well, used it that much, but it's okay. I, I, here's my prediction. And, and a lot of times my predictions are wrong about social media. I don't think it's going to last. I don't think, I think, I think, especially now that you can get paid uh, with the blue check mark 
I just don't think. Yeah. I, I think the the money's going to talk. I mean, unless unless the uh, the lizard man himself, Mark Zuckerberg, starts paying people to show up on threads, I just don't think it's going to. Yeah, I don't think it's going to do anything. Let's talk a little bit about silly season because we kind of launched into this a little bit. There's all sorts of crazy stuff happening right now. Uh, since we've last spoke, uh, in the Formula One world, uh, Daniel Ricciardo is back on the team formerly known as Minardi. It's also the team formerly known as Toro Rosso, which is the team that's about to formerly be known as AlphaTauri. And there's a lot of talk about whether or not Sergio Perez is going to stay at Red Bull. And Nick DeVries is already out on his ass. But of course, because the boomers need to have something to complain about, there's like a bunch of IndyCar teams that want to hire Nick DeVries. One of them I think we've known about for a very long time is Meyer Shank Racing because they tested Nick DeVries, and I think Michael Shank said something to the effect of when he tested him, he said, if I could sign him, I would, but he's got a Formula One contract or something like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, where do we even want to begin with this? Because we talked about Grosjean and the fact that he's on a hot seat. I mean, what other drivers – I mean, because here's the thing. I think I said this on the last podcast, or I said it somewhere to someone. Pencil in about six names out of 27 IndyCar drivers – uh, those are probably the only ones that are going to stay in the seat that they currently are in. Everybody else can potentially be changed in seats or yeah. out of the sport next year. What are some examples that you can think of, Kyle, right off the bat that you want to talk about? Um, Lucas. Lucas yes, gone is Malukas. interesting to me. Um, I think it's probably it's the right move for him. And I, I think the way that he went about leaving – and basically talking about how great of a team Dale Coyne is for starting your career and learning so much and how like gener like how gracious he was in announcing that he was leaving. Like didn't have a single thing bad about to say to say about the team, even though they've been obviously struggling this year until most recently. Um I think Malukas at a big team is an interesting prospect uh that I'm excited to see. Um where do you think that'll be? I, I've always thought it was Ganassi. But what's interesting is that NBC kind of dropped a bit of a, an interesting hint. And it was right before David crashed. So <laughs> they kind of they kind of got interrupted. But it was like, oh, he's ahead of Graham Rahal. Is that going to be a teammate next year? And I, I kind of scratched my head on that one. I mean, yeah, I, I guess a big thing from, that came out of Toronto is that like Rahal looks like they're back where they kind of belong now. I mean, I guess we'll find out at Iowa if they have oval prowess again. But David Malukas to Ray Hall, I think would be a bit of a head scratcher, if I'm being honest. I just don't see that. Like, because the way David was talking about leaving Coin, going to a bit, do we really, like, is Coin... I guess they are. I mean, I guess Ray Hall definitely is a step because they've won a race, right? They just won a race. They just and won they a race. Pulls this year. Correct. But if you could get a Ganassi seat, and maybe he can't get a Ganassi seat. I guess that's the that's the thing. But the way I look at Ganassi right now, they don't have a primary sponsor. And they want to pay Alex Pillow, whatever it is, six million dollars a year to stay. The only way you're going to do that without a major like target level sponsor is to go out and get pay drivers. 
Now, the name that keeps getting thrown around, because I know Townsend Bell threw it out on Twitter last night, and I know I've heard that name associated with Ganassi quite a bit, because he is driving for them technically in Indy Lights, although he's with HMD, hint, hint, um, is Kiffin Simpson. But I don't think, I mean, let's be honest here, like Kiffin Simpson I don't think is like IndyCar ready right now. Um, I could see him on a road course program, maybe splitting with Sato, who also is technically a pay driver, um, has a has a free engine lease attached to him as well as some personal sponsorship. Um, so could 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 Ganassi be like a five car team next year to pay below essentially if you take like Malukas's money and Armstrong's money and Kiffin's money and Takuma's money just to pay below? I don't know. But I, I don't. But if they do, or maybe Kiffin just cover, covers everything, including Polo, and then you don't need to take Malukas on if you don't want to, and maybe that's why Malukas is being linked to Ray Hall of all places. <laughs> but I also think it's curious that after all that talk that Armstrong's going to be driving the ovals, suddenly it's Takuma again, mm-hmm. and that makes me think that Chip's trying to play nice with Takuma. Because he's going to need Takuma next year. So I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a lot. I mean, Ganassi and Ganassi is the big, the big domino, right? Yeah. And by the way, I, I think I'm I think I'm kind of like I think I'm dancing around an issue, aren't I? Uh, as far as I know, Marcus Erickson is not coming back to that team. As far as I know. Now that could change, but I don't think he's coming back. And I think a so lot of people don't think he's coming. So you have the the most the guy who most recently won the Indy 500 and then finished second in the Indy 500 as a free agent. Correct. Well, maybe not that much of a free agent. I I think he's got an offer on the table right now, hmm. but he's not signed to anyone. I don't think he I don't think he's signed the contract yet. I'm there's be a lot of this year, there's a lot of talk about like. A lot of a lot of them are saying that like there is like an August first period where drivers usually aren't allowed to even have discussion past before that point Correct. Uh, in their contract. So yeah, the domino to fall is definitely anyone and everyone at Canassi, except for Dixon, and uh, the fact that we still have yet to get to August first, where a lot of the uh schmoozing can actually happen among these uh people mostly so let's move on to another name i mean malukas at andretti to me is another one another avenue i've thought of they said they're not taking a pay and i know malukas is a very different case than what Mm -hmm. they're used to but i let me be careful what i say here i think that andretti wants to be in a situation where they have total control over the driver. They want to say, look, we are paying you to be here. You're going to do this job. And if you don't do the job, we're going to find someone else because the ride's paid for and not the other way around. So Mm -hmm. Malukas, while he is an extremely talented driver, I don't think Andretti wants the possibility of HMD being like, uh, you're not performing. We're yanking our funding, and we're going to someone else mid-season. Because that's a possibility that always exists with a pay driver. And so, even if it's Malukas, 
Like we have to acknowledge the fact that he's bringing money. So like I, I think that would be a cool comment. I just don't see that happening. I just don't see that. Yeah. Let's talk about Myers Shank. So oh boy, this is a this is a fun one. <laughs> so if you're first off, let's just start by talking about this weekend. We yes. don't know if Pagano is cleared yet. No, and, let's and that's say, been a weird one, hasn't it? Let's say if he's not, who are you putting in the car? Are you take are you gonna say Tom? Do you want to take a shot in the ovals, or do you go to over reliable on the short ovals and go to Connor Daly? You got to go to Connor. You can't. You can't put Tom because yeah. the thing is, you're racing for. I mean, you're not maybe not racing for a championship anymore at at uh, in IMSA, but but Tom is your guy in IMSA. He, he's your heavy weapon, and you can't like you can't just throw a guy out on an oval that's never done it before. I mean, like all the testing's already happened for Iowa. So it's not realistic that you could just pack up and go have him do his rookie test. It, you just, it, it would be too tough. It would be too okay. tough for that. So yeah, I would like if passion is not cleared and, and it's so, it's really strange that passion hasn't been cleared. I, I really hope everything's okay with him. Um, Cause he keeps saying he feels fine. So I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but if he's not cleared, yeah, Connor makes co- complete and perfect sense. And I think his performance at mid Ohio was extremely impressive. I don't think it's going to get him a ride with that team. I, 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 I will stick to my guns that I think the, the two driver combination at that team next year is going to be Blomquist and uh, Nick DeVries uh, with Elio in the 500 in a third car. I'm going to stick to that right now, but I, I, but then you, you ask the question of like, where does, where does Simon go? If I he think, eventually gets cleared, of course, I think you're holding on too strongly to the fact of uh, Nick DeVries uh, doing a test with Shank and Shank saying that he'd sign him. I mean, I'm does Nick DeVries want to want to come race IndyCar, especially on ovals? I mean, we still that's have that to think good, about. That's a good thought. And if he doesn't want to race him on oval, put Elio in there. I mean, I guess that's the solution, isn't it? I mean, sure, but you could just grab Connor Daly and, you know, just. I, you had to, I mean, like nothing against Connor, but like if what, where have the drivers come from that have set the world on fire in IndyCar in the last couple of years? It's been super formula. It's been formula two. Yeah. There's been some lights guys who have come up and you can go get a lights guy. Because that's the thing too. I I, I just don't. Ah, man, I just don't think. I, I think Connor's years at Ed Carpenter Racing hurt him in like a consideration for a full time seat. I I just I I just don't. I just don't see that happening. And I could be to. I could be totally wrong. Could be totally wrong. But I I just feel like Meyer Shank Racing went down the path of we're going to hire these old grizzled you know experienced stars and clearly it hasn't worked out for them i think they're going to go young and aggressive and see how that works out but you could also but i mean i guess the question is can if you let's okay let's say tom blomquist is completely locked in and then you bring in also nick devries and you have two rookies that's also not good that's tough. Yeah, absolutely. That's tough. So, all right. Who's the veteran you put with them? Is it that's Connor? always that's always my like number one rule 
if I were to be an IndyCar team owner, you do not put two rookies together. You're just, it, unless you have like Michael Cannon on your team for engineering, don't do that. If I had like great engineers and people who could teach them and they're both absolute studs, then sure, maybe, but like, no, don't just put two rookies on your team when you're already kind of struggling. That's not good. So who who's the vet you'd go at? Is it Connor? Like is Connor the keep, guy? I probably keep Pagano, honestly. <laughs> I I probably would too. I mean, if yeah, absolutely. I think I think Pagano. I mean, I there's a case to be made to where Pagano stays. Um, I but, think in our in our circle, yes. In that building, I don't know how. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that Meyer Shank Racing is happy with the results that Pagano has produced? I think that. I think. Because I think I mean, Pagano is a great driver. Like, there's no que- like, there's no question about it. But I also think there's no question that his time at Shank has not produced what any no. of us thought was gonna be produced. I mean, I thought yeah. he was gonna like when he signed there. I was like, oh, he's gonna win the Indy 500. Like, no mm-hmm. question. I mean, has he has he even been on the podium for them? No. Well, yeah. Well, he's had a top five, I think. A top five. A couple he, top. Has fives, he had a podium? No, that's a tough sell. Yeah, there's not all this year, especially has been worse than last year. Last year, there was a string of a race or two where it was like, okay, things seem okay. And he even told us there were a few races last year where it was like, I remember him telling us uh, that there were a few races last year where, you know, there were wrecks in the first group around a qualifying and then the time ran out and you weren't really allowed to get a good lap and he's like ah, i qualified 17th when i probably have like a top 10 car and then you know there's there's been things like that for sure but they've definitely taken a step down in performance and i think the team has to realize i think all fans probably have realized that you know it's not really i think shank's going through some struggles right now and it's probably not pagino it's probably not elio honestly either uh yeah when Elio is kind of off at the Indy 500 and kind of like not really fighting in the way you normally see Elio, like, cause even last year they just had bad qualifying. They still had good cars in the race yeah. this year. They had pretty mid cars in the race compared to last year and a pretty poor qualifying performance. So they've definitely taken a drop off in performance. Um, I don't know what you do from here on and maybe, maybe getting starting completely new. But if your choice of veterans is very slim, then I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. What about Pagano to Andretti? That's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. I think that that would be really good for Pagano's career. Um, And I mean, when you're Andretti, and you have a guy like Louis Foster, who's an absolute beast, who probably needs at least one or two more years in lights, then yeah, maybe you take Pagano for just knowing that this guy's going to win me a lot of races for like two years, and then he might retire or move on to sports cars or do whatever he's going to do. And if and if you're losing Grosjean, that might be how you convince Olivier Bousson to stay, is that he seems to always work with a Frenchman. And if you get rid of Romain Grosjean... What incentive is there for him for to stay at Andretti? Maybe he follows. He would want to follow Roman, but if you go get Pagano, maybe you can convince him to stick around. There's another kind of thought from the engineering side because that's something we don't talk about a lot. 
like the the relationship between an engineer and a driver it's like yeah. so like that literally you, brought santina ferrucci to foyt yeah look where it brought i mean not not everywhere let's be very clear like they've Foyt. the, the thing about the foyt team and, they, and larry has told us this before they like focus development on on like they they pick a track you know that they think it, they're going to win on or think they have a chance and they focus development on that um so like it clearly this year michael cannon and santino ferrucci said look we're going to win indy this year but we got a chance so we're going to de- put all our Man. development effort into indy santino specifically said indy and gateway so there you go yeah and, get and ready simply, get ready for gateway boys that could be fun and, and <laughs> Foyt cars have, have been good at Gateway in the past. I mean, I remember uh, Connor Daly had a really good run there. Uh, Tony Kanon finished, I think, third one year. So it's it's not outside the realm of possibility or even unrealistic to expect that Foyt could be strong there. Uh, obviously, Gateway is one of those things, without getting too far off the silly season topic, is that like uh, Gateway is a track that throw everything that you know about Gateway out because there's going to be alternate tires at Gateway this year, and who knows what the hell that's going to do that race. So um that'll be interesting that'll be fun that'll be a fun one uh what else you know what honestly i think Foyt might be one of the most do we think Foyt's gonna change they might stay exactly how they are they might just depends if they keep peter i mean i think they keep ferrucci uh peterson i mean he was good at the 500 so well, that's what I matters, know that, that matters to aj yeah. i mean there was a lot of uh he wasn't that good in the race but i mean his qualifying performance and what he did for the team that month and not, you know, I, he, he caused a lot of problems at mid Ohio. That's for sure. But you know, I, how important is that going to be? Who knows? Uh, it'll be important. I mean, it'll be important when he's running at the front and someone has to cut him a break and doesn't, but like past that, I don't think that reflects. I don't think that's going to cost him a job. I don't think that's how that, the question is it. So is, Correct me if I'm wrong. I have to look this up because I don't have, know it off the top of my head. Nolan Siegel is is essentially doing an Alex Blow in uh, kind of yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, he kind of screwed up in Mid Ohio a little bit, but I mean, yeah. Well, I'm looking at the points right now. So we he get, actually has a 20 point lead over Christian Rasmussen. We get to see lights at Iowa, don't we? Twice, yeah. I think there's. I think they run two races. Oh, that's sick. We get to see four races between IndyCar oh, yeah. and lights. Oh, yeah, and and honestly, God. last year the lights race where. Uh, Matthew Brabham and who else was that? It might have been Ras. Was Rasmussen in lights last yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, it was Rasmussen and, and Brabham. Uh, they got into each other on the last lap, and like they right. awarded the, the, the race win to the third place guy. I'm so ready for Cornchella, which I think was Hunter McElray, maybe. I remember probably that is off the top of my head. But uh, so let's say, I mean, so let's say this let's Nolan Siegel not associated with a current IndyCar team. Christian Rasmussen, not affiliated with a current IndyCar team. Well, they're racing Hunter for HMD. Is. What's up? Well, they're racing for HMD. HMD, but we don't know where HMD is not going to have. Now, there has been talk. Oh, boy, there's been talk about HMD starting their own team. As far as I know, that's not happening like this year, but like further down the line, maybe. Um, okay. So they race for HMD, but like HMD would be Ganassi, right? Next year, or maybe Ray Hall. Do you see those teams really expanding past what they're already probably going to commit? No. So where does the Indy Lights, Indy Next, champion go? Well, I don't know. That's what I was also about to just talk about is last year's 
Indy. Well, he was the Indy Lights champion in 2022. It was still Indy Lights. Yeah, that was Linus. Lights, yeah, Linus Lundquist still doesn't have a ride. Do we think he gets a ride? Does Nolan Siegel yes. get a ride before I, Linus Lundquist? I think Lundquist will get an opportunity before the end of the year in IndyCar. There's been so much talk since last fall about Linus Lundquist. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 tested, start. he tested for Ray Hall at Texas and by all accounts was extremely impressive. Extremely impressive. So the question is, at what point does Ray Hall pull the trigger? And put him in a car would that be the the return of the 44 car or would he be in say the 30 car well they've set the precedent before that they'll just bring in a car like when they brought in the 45 car to run lungard and uh, yeah ask you and, and that would be the, other drivers. that would be the indy gp right that's the race yeah. next right is it next indy next is it the next indy right next <laughs> Is it? I can't remember the schedule. Let me. I'm on the IndyCar site right now. We go to Iowa, and then we go to the. Uh, then it's then it's we go to City. Nashville. Yeah. And then we go to the GP Part Two Electric Boogaloo. Okay. And then we go to Gateway, and then we yep, go to Gateway, Portland, Gateway, Portland, Monterey. Oh, I so, did that off the top of my head. You had to use a website. I, I did have to use the so it's dick bug. So if if Ray Hall added an extra car, theoretically, it would make sense. For uh, the NDGP, yeah, their electric boogaloo. Yeah, they they've set they've set the precedent in what year was that? Twenty? Is that twenty? Twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah, that was yeah. the that was the who, who the hell is Christian Lundgaard yep. race, and now we know who the hell Christian Lundgaard is. <laughs> yep. So I yeah I I think I definitely think that Linus is going to get an opportunity before the end of the year. The question is is he replacing someone or is he going to have an extra car to run? That will be the question, and I guess we'll find out. Is there anybody else we need to talk about in silly season? Because pretty much there's a lot of people that are probably completely leaving. Well, there's a lot more, but we have until until things get crazy, we can leave it leave it be. Uh, we have we have uh, just about 13 days until it gets crazy by my yep. uh, two weeks really, uh, two weeks from tomorrow <laughs> when. When uh, when it's all going to come out, and let's be honest, you and I are going to be pounding around the paddock at Iowa. Mm-hmm. You and I are going to hear things. We're going to see things. It's going to be all kicking. I believe it, we're going to ask. The, we're going to ask. We the drivers are going to hate us at that bullpen. Sorry, drivers in advance. We're going to have to ask you things that you cannot answer. We're going to talk to people. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to Midwestern grocery stores. We're I gonna... can't wait to go. We're gonna we're gonna like uh what else we're we gonna do? We're gonna eat the corn. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see four concerts, or David's not gonna see four concerts. I dude, might. I, I last year I just I I ran out of the con like it was like the, I saw I tried to get my goal was to get the video done and get the hell in the car before the concert even started, which I did. And I was able to not have to deal with that traffic. We're going to try to get, we're going to attempt, I got to look at when it's happening. I guarantee it's happening, but the, we're going to try and get David to Knoxville Speedway for a local, for a, for a weekly event. Cause the weekly events at Knoxville are freaking cracked. Kyle's uh, decided that I'm not going to sleep at Iowa. No, you're not. No, no. It's going to be uh, a different time zone. You're going to have an hour more of sleep anyways. 
that's not how that works. <laughs> that's not how that works. Yes, Cornchella. Cornchella. Let me let me explain the Cornchella story. Uh, so when I when I went to the Thermal Club to co- to cover the um, the Stephen Wilson Indy 500 announcement, I was in a car with Steph, and we were driving past Coachella, which is right next to the Thermal Club. And for some reason, we had all been talking about Iowa earlier in the day. And I said, I said, you know, if that's Coachella, Iowa is Cornchella. <laughs> and it's and it's stuck ever since. So we are going the whole weekend. We're calling it Cornchella. It is Cornchella because there is race cars, there's corn, there's Ed Sheeran. So that's what we're doing. And Zach Brown. Don't the C, not the K. Now, can we get Zach yeah. Brown and Zach Brown? No, I know. I'm writing someone else's Twitter. I know exactly that's going to happen. <laughs> that's going to ha- We're going to see a picture. I know exactly which account is going to, you know, if you, yeah. you know, you know exactly you know. which, you know exactly who's going to make that happen. And we're going to see the two Zach Browns together and it will break the internet, which means it'll get like 500 likes, but that's fine. I just hope Zach Brown plays, uh, chicken fried because i know david hates that song which zach brown <laughs> i would like to see the zach with a k sing chicken fried can we make that happen i would i would love to i would i i would pay amazing money to see zach with a k sing chicken fried here's the, here's my problem with chicken chicken fried here's my only problem with chicken. <laughs> <laughs> to go on a tangent uh i listen i was a poor man I rode the bus to school. I had a redneck bus driver. As everybody that, did. Oh, true. Well, no, no, no. Some people had the euphoria high school experience, as we found out. But you and I, <laughs> we, 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 were, we were corn-fed and corn-bred, let me tell you. And we were getting on the bus at stupid o'clock in the morning because we live out in the sticks. And I got to sit in this bus in the freaking fog of Franklin, Indiana. And the, it's cold, and the the bus stinks. And this guy, God bless him, wants to play country music every single morning. And that freaking chicken fried song was on every single morning. And <laughs> I just, I just can't. Cold beer, I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I, can't. I can't. I can't. Not that early. In the, not at six in the morning. That's not. I can't. I can't do that. So that unfortunately. Zach with a C, I'm sure you're a nice guy. Listen, if your concert's before the race, I might make an effort to listen. But I I just, I can't reconcile that. I can't. Like, you, have, you, have, you, have, you have, I'm going to give you, we, still, we maybe we'll bring this to Iowa. I'm going to give Zach Brown a trophy <laughs> for ruining my morning every, and I hated middle school. This was in middle, I hated school in general, but middle school especially. And you made me listen to that song every morning. You're the best, Zach, Zach Brown. Zach with a C. Zach with a K, I want to see sing it, though. That that also needs to happen. So all sorts of things need to happen at Cornchella. I I, uh, I would hazard a guess. Should we actually talk about the race? I think the big thing, uh, much like every other IndyCar race, it's a question of who can beat who. And I think that the, the storyline is who can beat Joseph Newgarden. Can Alex Polo actually be the true Terminator and beat Joseph straight up at Iowa? 
Yeah. I I go into the weekend just thinking more uh who can beat Alex Pillow. I know Joseph's the man at Iowa, but I still think on this tear of the season with Pillow not winning to Toronto, the drive he had, uh I think it's just who who can beat uh Pillow and then more or less like less thinking about who's gonna win. I'm really interested to see how Hunter Ray does yep. and how the Ed Carpenter team does. Um, if Connor Daly is with Shank, I'm interested in how he does because he was able to do well at Iowa in a Carlin car. So yep. on the pole, in fact, on the yeah. Carlin car. So we know he's good there. Uh, that's really just my the main thing is my head. Besides the fact that I wish that one of the races was a night race, that sucks. Yeah, and and you're gonna. Can't, you can't wait. I can't wait to stand on the back stretch at Iowa because that's I shouldn't have said that because now everyone's going to watch it back there. But I stand there watching the race and I just love sitting there and cooking for for two hours. Yeah, it's great. Now, however, I think the daytime makes the racing a little bit more interesting because the tire wear is a huge factor in the day. All right, here's huge. how here's how the Iowa doubleheader needs to be because oh. 2020 was terrible, but we figured out oh, like yeah. we learned. We learned in general. <laughs> we learned a lot. We learned yeah, a we lot that year. Yeah. Well, you know what they did in 2020? Actually, I, I think it was two nights, but they ran a doubleheader night race at Iowa and they ran one on Friday and they ran one on Saturday. Maybe one of them can be at, not, during the day. I don't care, but run like a 250 mile. May, it can be 150 miles on Friday. And then on Saturday, run a 300-mile Iowa race. Keep the doubleheader, one at night, one during the day. Ha! You figured it out. I, I You know I, what? I really liked like the Friday primetime Iowa, though, in 2020. I remember that. I was like, God, this is so cool. It's Friday night, and I'm watching a IndyCar race. Yeah, yeah I, I think the TV rating sunk that one, though. I think it was terrible from what I remember. Because wasn't it also literally on NBC? Maybe. Yeah, they had Friday night primetime on NBC, and it was like it was so cool. <laughs> Honestly, what I would do for Iowa, and this is of course dependent on whether or not they would have enough s- slots on the schedule to fill it. If you're gonna do, like, what is it? It's the equivalent of 500 miles, right, at Iowa. Just do it one race. Two, yeah, yeah, do it. Do do one race. A 500 miler at Iowa. 500 miler do it start it in the evening and run into the night so you have a day race and a night race 500 miles and uh uh i mean maybe the drivers physically couldn't handle that so maybe make it like a 400 miler i don't know but if you if for some reason you needed to make space on the schedule and let's be fair there's at least one indy gp race that you could cut maybe two to make room before i would cut an iowa race out of the schedule but if you ever needed to, I think like an endurance race would be really freaking unique. Yeah. Really unique. Would that I ever happen? I don't know. The The one thing that I noticed, speaking of day Oh, it's races, less than 500 because it's a 7 8, eight mile oval. Oh. Uh, so it would be, yeah, it would be about 400 miles. I would be, I would be okay with that. Yeah. But I, I think, so, uh, Talking about the day races on the schedule, uh, the one thing that my buddy uh, Drayton brought up to me, shout out Drayton, was 
the the start times the whole season. And I just I just realized this week there's not a single freaking night race on the schedule all year. There hasn't now, been I, for years. I know you're not a huge night race guy, but I love night racing. I think Indy cars at night look freaking awesome. It, it has years, its place. It, you should at like, least do one or two a year. Gateway Gateway should be a night race. Gateway should absolutely be a night race. Yeah. Iowa should be a night race. I'm still a believer Texas should be a night race, but you know. The the problem with running at night at Texas is like they've added so much downforce to the cars now that it would be a pack race. They'd have to take downforce away again. Like the reason Texas works is because like Iowa, it's a you have to manage tires. Yeah. I think Gateway works the opposite way that you need the cars to have downforce the whole time. Because the minute the sun set, because of the 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 uh, the rain that we had at Iowa last year, the race got awesome, and like it was terrible when it was in the the middle of the day. And so, like I, I yeah, I think I think Gateway for sure needs to be a night race. I, one of the Iowa races could be a night race, but the problem you run into is if you do a double header and you have one race in the day and one at night unless you make the second one the night race and the first one the day race, you're not going to give the teams enough time to recover. That would yeah. be a big issue. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to go to a doubleheader. I know I'm not huge on doubleheaders. I think they're cool. It's a fun once-a-year thing. Because uh, key, key I already emphasis on once a year. I don't need to do it like, again. I, you are going to notice that if there are two different winners, the Saturday, once the Sunday winner hits – the Sunday, the Saturday winner is going to feel a little less important. Like it just takes away if you run another race right after you want to race. But I mean, as a fan to go, I was lucky. And that's, that's one thing. One, like the one of the few things in 2020 that was cool is we got to go to a lot of double headers. Yeah. And yeah. Double headers are, are fun to attend in person. Like you go to the track on Saturday and you're not just there to watch qualifying. You're there to watch a race. And then the, cause like, Normally, at the end of a race, when you're there, you're like, oh, it's about to end. That's sad. Disappointing. The weekend's about to be over. No. On Saturday, when the race is about to end, you're still pumped up. You get to go back and do the exact same thing tomorrow. So, doubleheaders are cool to attend. Very excited. That's, it's cool when the track is worthy of it. I think that's a really key. to Because the, the doublehead, because I think you you are sitting there with rose-colored glasses on. Because you remember that Road America weekend, mm-hmm. which was like the first weekend that fans could attend, which was, they were two pretty decent IndyCar races. You forget sitting in the stands at Gateway and having to slog through two absolutely terrible races. And at, especially after the first one, you sit there and go, oh boy, we're going to have to sit through another one of these tomorrow. Yeah. So like Iowa works as a doubleheader track because it's unpredictable because it has the unpredictability factor. It has the, and it's funny to say that because, you know, without a mechanical failure last year, Joseph Newgarden wins both of the races, but at the very least, you're going to see action. You're going to see lap traffic. You're going to see three or four different lanes. You're going to see passing. Even if it's not for the lead, you're going to see cars, you know, dueling with each other. Uh, and you don't see that at a track like gateway. I mean, like if you, they did an Indy car double. They did an Indy GP doubleheader, and like one of the races was pretty good, but the other one sucked. So like, even on a track that maybe you get one good race, you might get a bad one too. So you got it. I don't know. I don't think doubleheaders. I think they tried them. 
And I think it works for Iowa because they have so much freaking sponsorship that they can support running two races and they have a, a program set up to create that atmosphere. But I think honestly, if you, if you did eventually go back to one race at Iowa, and I've said this for years, by the way, start making the Indy next series like Xfinity and make them a headline race. That's all you got to yeah. do. People are, if people are showing up for the concerts anyway, say, we're going to show you a race. People aren't going to know it's not the Indy cars. That's how I feel about it. And frankly, the lights race was probably the most exciting of the three races they ran at Iowa last year anyway. So I don't know. Wouldn't it be cool to see an Indy lights race run in front of a full crowd? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Get me in trouble. <laughs> Let's just talk about how uh, you uh, don't like concerts at races. Oh, I think that's a misrepresentation. <laughs> I don't I don't care. I don't care. Uh I'm there for race cars, but like I understand the value that they have. It's uh it gets people in the door, it adds value to your ticket. I think that's fine. As long as it doesn't like inflate the ticket prices to where they're unreasonable that actual race fans can show up. Um, but I, well, I frankly think they should add concerts to every practice day. Well, technically that happened in at the... Iowa. What's up? Have you seen the Iowa ticket prices? I know that. Well, that, I, you're trying to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. They also built a suite that like half the, the stands now can't see the other side yeah. of the track. But, you know, it, but again, I, I am very careful about criticizing Iowa and criticizing Hy-Vee, not because I'm like afraid of them or something, but like they're, they brought Iowa back. Am I Rick? I mean, like, am I really going to sit there and go, yeah, screw you guy. No, hell no. Cause they, they brought back a track that everybody wanted to come back and they bring all, I mean, like I, going to Iowa last year, there were, I saw more consumer huge spot, like M&Ms was leaving NASCAR and M&Ms had banners all over Iowa Speedway IndyCar race. Okay. How can I complain about that? I, I I just like, yeah, I understand. Like there is a legitimate complaint there about the prices going up at Iowa and they're going to have to look at that. And there's a pretty clear, obvious adjustment they've made that they are making Friday a free day. Hmm. Uh, I think they've identified whether or not they're ever going to publicly admit it or not, that they maybe took a step too far. I'm sure next year you'll have an announcement that ticket prices are down. You guys can, come on in well the real reason was that ed sheeran was very expensive to it was a very expensive kid well it may i mean it makes it makes sense i mean uh and and if it if it ends up that that ed sheeran concert like blows that place out and there's people hanging off the rafters to see him then uh you know you've got the formula one deal going on like you can you really can you really blame formula one if they can keep getting suckers to pay 750 dollars for a ticket yeah that's good. Yeah, I've said that since people were complaining about Miami. It's like, well, people are buying them. Like, what do you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not. It is not consumer friendly. It isn't. But at the same time, if the seats are filled, and if the seats are filled, most importantly for the race, I think I think it could be a failure if you charge a ton of money, and no one shows up for the race, and they all show up for the concert. You've made a mistake. 
But if those people bought a concert ticket and sit in the race and go, hey, that's kind of cool. That was fun. I'll come back next year, regardless of who the concert act is, then you did something right. Yeah. And you probably made money. So I, I can't like I can't just sit there and just get really mad about it because it's not like you're raising the ticket price for the Indy 500 or something. You're raising it for Iowa, a track that we didn't have on the schedule because they couldn't make the business model work two years ago. I I don't know. I like and, and concerts. Yeah, sure. Like, do I like concerts? Am I like a concert fanatic? No. Um, but if, if that's what gets people to the racetrack, if that's what gets people in front of my favorite sport, if that's what keeps people and, and companies involved in my favorite sport, hell, let's do it. I, I said that, you know, I just said that a little while ago, freaking do it, uh, on the Indy 500 practice days, do a concert every day, get people in the door. That's what I say. And if, and hopefully they'll go over there and check the race out or, you'll build up some sort of a, a dependency on going to the race. You know, once you get tired of partying at the mosh pit of the concert, you go, you know, I still like going. Why don't we just go sit in the grandstands and watch the race? That's what happens with Indy 500 fans. They start in the snake pit and they move up to grandstand seats. I don't know. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing that concerts at a racetrack. I think when the concert becomes like the focal point, or you make celebrities, or you put celebrities in the pace car, you put celebrities in the flag stand. Like, that stuff I don't like. But I'm just going to do a concert. That's fine. It's fine. All right. That's, that's the answer I expected. I just felt like this week that was a good, uh, that's a good, uh, especially with all the concerts, that was a good one. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as spicy. I think you were really hoping for me to just go, oh, yeah, it sucks. I don't think it sucks. It's fine. No, I, I didn't think it was going to be spicy. It. I've I've talked to you enough oh. off the air that I knew what your answer was going to be, but I was like, ah, it's a spicy take that people probably think about David. Oh, what what do you mean? No, I think people David, would just think I would just be like, I think no, people think concerts, that you or... hate that you hate the concerts because you only care about the race, which is kind of. I don't hate true, the concerts. True, but not to, and that you hate celebrities. At the races, uh, which you no. did just say that you do. I hate celebrities being involved in positions that they should not be involved in. I think there's a very big di like, oh boy, oh no, don't no, this will get me in trouble. You can't get me on this subject because <laughs> because I, I look, 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 I'll celebrities. Just say that. I I actually do hate celebrities. I hate, I hate not at races, but I just hate them in general. <laughs> celebrities are an interesting. So here's the deal. I, I, I liked that Adam driver was at the Indy 500. Yeah. He's a big name. I, I like that he was involved. I like the angle on Memorial day weekend that he's a veteran. Makes a lot of sense. Homie should not have been in the flag stand. I will stick by that. Like Aaron Likens is the starter of the Indianapolis 500. And you shouldn't put elements in something that can actually affect the race. You shouldn't leave that up to people who are not professionals in that field. Yeah, I get it. Adam Driver's a big star. He should just be able to watch the race. Be seen, put him in the celebrity padding zoo, take pictures of him, shouldn't be waving the green flag. Uh, ditto for celebrities in the pace car. Now, a lot of times they'll put an athlete in there 
which is fine because I think athletes are definitely more capable as race car drivers more often than not than celebrities. And without going too far down the Formula One rabbit hole, because this will end up causing, I just don't even want to deal with Twitter. I just don't want to deal with it. But like, if there is a rule on the Formula One grid that you're there, you have to talk to Martin Brundle. You should talk to Martin Brundle. Uh, or don't be on the grid, and then you don't have to talk to Martin Brundle. But you can still be in the Formula One. I don't care if you're at the Formula One race and you're a celebrity. But, or an IndyCar race or whatever, fine. Like, I've even interviewed celebrities on this channel. We uh, interviewed uh, Rey Mysterio when he was at uh, Texas. Because I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of cool. But, like, Rey Mysterio also was just in the two-seater, right? He wasn't, like, participating in the race. I think that's my point of contention with celebrities. I, I'm cool with them being seen. I'm cool with them being there. All I ask is don't be a dick. Um, don't overshadow the real stars who are the race car drivers. 33 men and women who are strapping their asses in 230 mile per hour you know, <laughs> rockets and doing things that other human beings are literally incapable of. The celebrities should be there to lift up the people who are actually doing the work at the racetrack, which are the drivers, teams, crews, those people. They shouldn't be participating. That's my big. And if they are participating in a way, they have to be willing to play in the environment. And that means if Martin Brundle comes up to you and wants to talk to you, give a quick canned answer and then get the hell out of there. But you should talk. Because you're not there, you're not on the grid because you are uh because you're just a fan. You're on the grid because you have been deemed important enough to promote this event. Therefore, promote the event. But don't put the freaking Amazon guy in the flag stand either. That was stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> I hate that. Don't put Spider-Man in there. And I get it. Everybody likes Spider-Man. Uh, Tom <laughs> Holland, he's a nice kid. He clearly is. We, we stand Tom Holland. He's more than welcome to go to races. Don't let him wave the flag. It's, it's, don't let him wave the flag. Or that one lady who waved the flag like a lap early. Like, that's your perfect example to not let celebrities do this stuff. Because yep. she literally, by the rules, ended the race a lap early. And had someone passed, I think it was Sebastian Vettel who won that race, it wouldn't have counted. Because... Dumbass celebrity waved the flag one lap too early. You can't, like, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. Are you? Oh, you the Apple it? CEO. You, Sorry, you got I it. got my corporations mixed up. You got it. You got it all out of your system. Uh, what else am I mad about? We're running long here. <laughs> oh, are we? No, it's only an hour. It's an hour forty. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I get a little whistle. I'm gonna get a, like a whistle for you next time. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, and it's going to sound like I hate celebrities. I just, I don't hate celebrities. I'm happy that they're willing to come there. Just watch the race. Watch the race and then don't be a dickhead when Martin Brundle comes up and interviews you. That's that's all I ask. That's, that's all I ask. Okay. Super Chats. Oh, boy. We got a lot of them today. So I hope you guys have been enjoying the content. I, I certainly, I, I hope I didn't scare too many people off of that rant. Uh, Formula Pun Racer is the first one who uh, said a super chat. He says, what a race. And happy belated birthday, David. Thank you. I did turn 30. 
That is a thing. So if I'm extra grumpy, perhaps that's why. People can never guess my age, by the way. Uh, it's whether they either guess way too young or way too old. There's nothing in between. They never actually get my age right. I don't know why. I'll never figure that out. But, oh, well. Uh, Rashim Hall Stewart says, should have more 500-mile races on the schedule. I agree with you completely. Um, but I think on the schedule note, from what I understand about the schedule next year, I think people are going to like it. No, there isn't a 500-mile race being added, but I think it will be an improvement. Firecard says, given the Grosjean crash, do you think his seat is safe for next year? He is so fast. Has podiums on this year, but the wheels have really come off as of late. I think we've talked about this. I, I, I don't think he's safe. In fact, I think he's on the hot seat. What do you think, Kyle? He's on the hot seat. The wheels are literally coming off on that car. <laughs> yeah, including the steering wheel, apparently. Yeah. Uh, just a rowdy dude from South something. I Your name is so long, it doesn't even fit in the Super Chat thing. By the way, the Super Chats still aren't doing the at thing which I'm happy about because screw YouTube for making it an at system. It's so bad. Uh, Toronto course would be great for Canada cup race. Uh, uh, it's probably too long, right? You think the Toronto tracks too long for cup cars? Mm, no, honestly, I think Toronto is kind of shorter than most. Oh yeah. Circuits. Well, yeah, the hairpin wouldn't work. That would be a disaster every single lap. That would be a dis I don't think Toronto would work for, for Cup. I know they raced the Pinty series there, but Pinty's is a lot different than Cup. <laughs> uh, Peacock has a ton of other sports. $4.99 is cheap. Sure. Um, sure. I I don't think that's... Uh, that's also from Just a Rowdy Dude from Sal. I can't say the rest of his name because it literally gets cut off in the Super Chat thing. But yeah, I mean, sure. Four ninety nine is cheap for Peacock, um, but uh, you know I don't think. By the same token, I think you need to be careful about how you market the four ninety nine. Like I think that's a nicer way of marketing it than just saying, "Pay the four ninety nine, shut up." Like, I think there's a big difference between those. Uh, Taurus says, "Can I get an F in the chat for Show Buzz Daily?" If you don't know what Show Buzz Daily is. It was the um, one of the ways people used to be able to see what the TV ratings were. Not anymore. Uh, Brian's, uh, uh, God, let me see if I can say this right. I, I always screw your name up. I'm so sorry, Brian. Uh, Staniski, Staniski, I think I got that right. Says frivolous purchase for $5. Thank you. I think that is the exact uh, uh, cost of a Peacock membership. So I appreciate that you spent it on me and not Peacock. Uh, Taurus says Chip needs to avoid the Sato left the team and we now suck curse at all costs. That's a thing. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually talked about, maybe I have talked about that on the channel before, but there is definitely a pattern of Takuma Sato going to a team, the team improving, and then when Sato leaves, the team falls off. That is not coincidence in my opinion. Kyle, what do you think of Takuma Sato going to teams and making I them think, better? I think recently, like, I, I don't think Coin improved when he went last year. They did get worse this year, so it's a good point. But I mean, they didn't really improve. If anything, they got worse last year too. 
from what they had with Grosjean? Yes. Uh, I mean, Malukas was in the hunt about as much as Grosjean was last year. I don't think, no. Sato was genuinely quick at the Indy 500. Yeah, that's true. So was Malukas, by the way. That's true, I guess. I, I don't know. And Sato, like, consistently, if you looked at, especially early in the season, I don't remember how it worked later on in the season, but I know pre-Indy, Sato wouldn't qualify very well, but he almost always finished in the top 10. Yeah, the rest of the season, I don't think it went that way. Well, there you go. Okay, so he had a Grosjean season. <laughs> uh okay cooking in the dark uh sent a one uh sent a 9.99 super chat didn't say anything i appreciate that cooking in the dark rodney says uh how much dollars does it cost to buy a full-time ride with cgr uh i've this came up last year and let me see if i can remember exactly the number i was told i think it's between six and eight million dollars a year to buy a ride at chipkin I think, um, I think that was the number that was thrown at me last year, if I can remember. But I think he did eventually start taking because remember there was the big question mark of Jimmy Johnson's seat, whether a Jimmy would when Jimmy wasn't staying there anymore full time. The question of was how who is going to fill that seat and who can pay for it. And I think they eventually knocked down the price because I know Sato was in, Sato obviously was in the mix, got the seat. There was talk about Formula One drivers, including Nicholas Latifi, coming in and taking that seat. Um, they went after guys with money and eventually ended up with Marcus Armstrong and Takuma Sato splitting. So I think I think it was around eight million dollars, if I remember correctly. Go back and watch those videos. I'm sure you'll you'll hear the number. Uh, two questions from Taurus. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Firecard asked about some schedule surprises for 2024. Yes. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, I will I will get into more detail about that later. I just want to confirm. I want to get more than one source on one thing in particular that's very interesting, I would say. Not like earth-shattering. I want to be very clear. We're not talking like Michigan here, right? There's... There is a chance of something really cool towards the end of the season happening. That's all I'll say. Uh, two questions. One, is Foyt moving up or are other teams falling back? Two, can Hunko solidly be called a midfield team at this point? Um, I don't think Foyt's necessarily moving up. But I also don't think other teams are falling back. I think Foyt's right about where they've always been. Foyt's always been a team that shows up really strongly for two or three races a year. And the rest of the time, they're at the back. And Hunkos definitely is improving this year. Um, so, yeah, I would say, yeah, probably midfield. I don't know. What, what's your evaluation of Hunkos right now, Kyle? Uh, I, Canapino was, like, hunting for a top 10 for a little bit in Toronto. I mean, yeah. they need they don't have <clears throat> the, like, pace right now. But, I mean, they're they're pretty consistent throughout the race like they, they just they need a little bit more speed probably around i would say their pace is probably around 13th to the 15th is where their cars usually end up running mid pack for canapino like i think he had like another 13th place run or something like that and that was pretty impressive honestly yeah 
for a guy who's never driven an open wheel car before. He's yeah. pretty good on the street courses for some reason. That's like street That's, courses has been like his like twelfth place. Well, um, they I mean in South America a lot of it is street course racing and a lot of it is tracks that are worn out and bumpy. Mm-hmm. So that that tracks for me. Uh, that makes a lot of sense actually. Uh, I thought the most impressive thing that Augustine Canapino did this year was Indy 500. Yeah. And, and had he not gotten taken out of that race, uh, he would have he would have probably gotten a top 10. Cuz didn't didn't Callum get a top 10 in that race? I think maybe. Callum was there there I mean he would I mean obviously it was on strategy but he led that race. Yeah. Callum did. So I, I yeah. Lucas is definitely a mid-pack team. For sure. And and they 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 will improve. If they can keep Callum and they can keep Augustine, they can keep developing those two. And frankly Kyle, here's your example by the way what Shank may, might be trying to build if they do go with two young drivers. Maybe they punt on a year and just say look we're going to develop Tom and Nick. And then hopefully they they work out in like twenty five. They try to do like a Hunkos thing. Maybe. Uh, Alex, if Alex Pelo, this is, comes from Huskar Racing. If Alex Pelo looks like he's going to F one, IndyCar should step in and convince him to stay somehow. He's the closest thing they have to a mid nineties Jeff Gordon or what the NFL has with Pat Mahomes. Uh okay. Well, there's there's a couple of points to be made there. It, what is IndyCar going to do? What can can IndyCar, how can IndyCar step in and convince Alex below to stay? What do they have to offer him? I mean, sure. But I, I, what does IndyCar offer that F1 doesn't? The Indy 500, you can win that race in your 40s, if we're being brutally honest. So that's, that's a tough one. And then I would say mid-90s Jeff Gordon and Patrick Mahomes I don't know. There's no marketing behind Alex Pillow. Like Pat Patrick Mahomes and Jeff Gordon, we're talking about like generational marketing machines. Yeah. There. And that's just not like, okay, you know, let's let's take Alex Pillow in the time machine 20 years ago and put him in a bunch of target commercials. Maybe. But that's not the reality that we live in right now. So, you know, I, I think he could be that. And, uh, you know, despite what a lot of people say, I think he does have a personality. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have a big consumer-based sponsor wanting to put you out in front of people, you're not getting put out in front of people. That's just as simple as that. Uh, Urban says, uh, for IndyCar fans going to PIR, first, it's amazing track. Turn one and turn two view from the grandstand is nice. Finally, from downtown Portland via light rail is so convenient when I came to Formula E. Go, says Urban. There's your public transport you like so much, Kyle. I'm 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 thinking about going to Portland. Because <laughs> well, we're 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 gonna see actually that is the last round, but we might we might be going because Simon Sykes. We gotta go see that championship. Oh, playout. I should announce that right now. We're gonna have a guest on the we have only had one guest in the podcast before. We get a we have a guest next week. And it is indeed USF 2000 championship leader at the moment, uh, Simon Sykes. So uh, that's hey. he gets the honor of being the first driver on the podcast. Yep. So all the pressure's on, Simon. Pressure's on. That Portland's going to feel like feel like a breeze after the pressure of being on this podcast. Exactly. Uh, Brennan says, around a high V amount of sense. 
for 450. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he was. I don't know what you meant by that, but I appreciate the super chat. Alan Smith. We love hanging out with Alan. He's a friend of ours uh, who lives in New Zealand. Haven't seen him for a couple of years for obvious reasons. Hopefully we'll see Alan back in the States soon, though. I miss you, buddy. Says, hey, guys, elephant in the house. Silly season. Can Dixon get a new strategist, please? If Pelot goes, Dixon could have his strategist. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the 10 team right now is that they are clicking on all cylinders. It's not just Alex Pelot. It's the strategy. It's the car preparation. It's setup. It's all of it. Uh, you know, Scott Dixon is second in the championship right now, Kyle. I mean, what? And I saw another comment before the stream started that that Dixon has, it has been a year since Scott Dixon has won an IndyCar race. Is Scott Dixon having a bad year? Can we even remotely say that? He's having a Scott Dixon-esque bad year. It's like a, it's like a <laughs> bad year, but like, oh, oh, third in the championship, not leading or second, man. He hasn't crashed so. into a, a, a sand barrier yet. Yeah. His real bad season was when he hit the, the sand barrier at uh, at uh, Homestead. So until Scott Dixon does that, it's not going to be worse than 04. Uh, Alex says, uh, thoughts on the Brody Kostecki NASCAR Indy News. Uh, I, I, I mentioned it once, and those of you who are listening later on the podcast will actually hear that segment of the podcast. Uh, those of you who are uh, listening on YouTube, that I guess that got cut off. So... I think it's exciting. I think Shane Van Gisbergen showed that uh, the supercar guys are extremely adept at uh, the NASCAR next-gen car. Obviously, the Indy road course is a lot different than the streets of Chicago. It's much more of a Formula One track than Chicago. Um, but I think Kostecki is a very capable driver. I believe he finished second at Bathurst this year. So he is uh, he is probably, you know, at, at least at this point, supercar is probably second. He's kind of like the Scott Dixon in the championship right now to do Van Gisbergen's Alex Pillow. So sure. Why not? I think he's going to, I'm excited to see him and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to, uh, to stick a mic in his face, hopefully during a NASCAR bullpen. Uh, Taurus says have to figure if Kyle gets you in trouble with the series or the fans. What? <laughs> Uh, have to figure if Kyle gets you in trouble with the series. Oh, you're asking what the Kyle gets David in trouble title means. It means both. <laughs> it means yes. It, it means yes. <laughs> Napa racing fan says perfect balance to IndyCar schedule. How many street races, road courses, and ovals? What tracks should they return to? Not counting Cleveland airport. Well, obviously, I mean, like I said, answer this all the time. Milwaukee which there's a good chance that that will happen. Thank God. I can't wait. Um, Michigan. Uh, I mean, I've, I've mentioned the tracks they should return to forever. I would say the perfect balance of an IndyCar schedule. If, if you put me in charge, it would be a 20 race schedule with five super speedways, five short ovals, five street courses, and five road courses. Kyle, what would your perfect balance be? Uh, I mean, that's like you just said, that's perfectly balanced. Pretty much. So, I mean, but I would at least have two more 500 mile races. I'd go to Pocono and I'd go to Michigan. Yeah. Since yeah. we can't have Montana anymore. Well, yeah, you have Pocono, Michigan, Indy. Then you do Homestead and oh, uh, Homestead. Mm, yeah, Homestead. There you go. There's your five super speedways. Five short ovals might actually be hard to do now. I'd have to think about that. 
Because you'd have Milwaukee. You'd have to go to Iowa, Richmond and Phoenix. Gateway, Richmond, Phoenix. Yeah, you do that. I would be, I would be fine with that. I'd be like, fine. Phoenix with- would probably suck, but it would be part of the chip. Like the idea of the championship should be for Indy cars. I, I mean, like, oh, this is. IndyCar really separates itself. Like the road and street courses are awesome and they should stay. But like the differentiating factor with IndyCar is the ovals. And there should be a heavy emphasis on ovals in the championship. I'm not saying make it the IRL, but I am saying that uh, the balance isn't right right now. There's too many road courses in a row without any oval. Like we, we are literally going to the next oval after the Indy 500 and we are at the end of July. Yeah. I, I, that's tough. That's tough for me to, to get behind. Napa race fan says thoughts on the current state of NHRA three drag strips, Atlanta, Houston, and Vandermeer closed in four years, losing camping world in 2024. Um, I mean, I drag racing is always an interesting beast because you drag racing has a lot of crossover fans with traditional racing. But drag racing, I almost put in a category of like, it's like motorcycle racing, where it's got such a specific fan base that I don't think it's necessarily in trouble. Yes, sure, you're losing tracks, you're losing sponsors, but I went to the U.S. Nationals last year and they had an oversubscribed field in both of the fuel categories. Um, And, you know, that you still have some fairly big sponsors involved. It's not anything like it used to be. But what racing series isn't? So I, I'm not like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, the NHRA is dying by any stretch of the imagination. But just everybody is struggling for a smaller and smaller piece of the pie right now. Just That's just the reality of the situation. Um, what drag racing really needs is like the next John Force. And I don't think it has it yet. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I think... What's weird is like the current John Force is still racing. Like NHRA is like, you think about it. John Force is like the equivalent of Rick Mears still racing in IndyCar, which is crazy. <laughs> it's amazing that he can do that. I don't know, Kyle. I mean, you, you, you pay attention to NHRA. Like what's. No, I don't. You don't. I thought you did. <laughs> no. Okay. Never. No. <laughs> I pay more attention to NHRA than Kyle does. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, for why did I think you watched NHRA? I don't know. No, it's because you watch Supercross, weirdo. Supercross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up with around two wheels, so well, I that's watch. well, that's that's the thing I would say is like, what's your evaluation like from the outsider perspective, like NHRA and where it stands in the motorsports landscape? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's still John Force, and I think we all love to go see John Force, but like, what happens when there's no John Force in the NHRA? That's like the thought nobody even wants to think of. Because then all the other superstars like Ron Caps, Antron Brown, all the guys you know, like they've also been around the sport for a long time. Who's the who's where's the 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 new up and coming stars? Tell me about them. Tell me about Alex Laughlin. Don't like tell me about those guys. Tell me their stories more. Uh, Justin Ashley is is kind of one of the dominant guys on the top fuel scene. I bet you didn't even know his name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So there you go. I mean, there are Force. There's still a couple of Force daughters racing, or at least one. Ashley. One. Brittany. Uh, Brittany Force, sorry. Brittany Force is still racing. 
um, and racing very well. I, I mean, I saw her set a national record at, at the U.S. Nationals last year. Um, but obviously, like, you know, much like most of us, if you're your if you're a, a kid, you know, like Michael Andretti is not Mario. A.J. Foyt, the fourth is not A.J. Foyt. Yeah. Haley Deegan is not Brian Deegan. So like Brittany Force is not John Force. She's a she's her own person. She's a different driver. She goes about her business in a different way than John Force does. She her appeal and her draw is different than John Force's draw. So you can't just draw, and it may be, you know, someday when when Force finally hangs it up, are those John Force fans gonna jump to Brittany? Maybe, but I don't know because she's not really John. And she shouldn't be John, by the way. It's it's just like, I don't know. Drag racing is an interesting beast because I I will tell you this. If you if you're curious about drag racing, watch and it will set a, a really high expectation for what drag racing is. But I would seriously say go watch like the old Diamond P sports like year reviews of like the 80s and early 90s. They're really entertaining. Steve Evans, Brock Yates, uh do a great job of uh, of showing off drag racing and making it really accessible and interesting and exciting. And even if you're not interested in like the current stuff, I, I would definitely suggest going back and watching some of that stuff because it's really cool to see like the progression that sport made because they really were like astronauts in those days. And it was really cool to see them go from 250 mile an hour, quarter mile speeds to you know, 320 by, you know, a decades past. I mean, it was, it was really a cool era of development and, and moving, moving the sport forward. So I think it's really cool to, to see that stuff. Uh, Tara says, can you try getting a miles row available for the next guest slot? He's on fire in Indy pro 2000. Uh, miles is another guy who I would love. I don't know why we haven't done as much stuff with miles. I've, I've talked with him quite a bit off the air. Um, but it's tough because like, obviously I don't like cover the road to Indy closely. So like it, where there were opportunity, where there would be opportunities to talk to a Simon Sykes or a miles row or any of the other drivers in, in the, the ladder system, believe me, I have a lot of good relationships with so many drivers on the road to Indy. Um, but like, you know, I'm just one man. I, when I go to an Indy car race, it's hard enough just to keep track of 27 IndyCar drivers in 2017. There's 28 going to be at Iowa because they had Carpenter. So, um, you know, to add 20 Indy lights cars to that, or if you go to say Portland and all four rungs of the road to Indy, you're there, you're just keeping track of a whole lot. So yeah, miles would be a great guest. He is a very insightful guy. Uh, he's, he's a very, I think he's the real deal. There's a lot of guys who I think are the real deal coming up in, uh, in the road to Indy. And he's one of them. Simon Sykes is another one. Ironically, they both drive for Pabst Motorsports. Uh, no, they did not pay me for that endorsement. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's some good talent coming up uh, on the road to Indy. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing some of them in Indy cars in the, uh, in the near future. Do we have any other Super Chats? No, we don't. So that ends our broadcast. Thank you, guys. John Force is going to race against his granddaughter. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that would be interesting if that did happen. Uh, Kyle, Cornchella's this week. Cornchella. Ah, Napa Racing fan right at the end said a super chat. 
Should the Brickyard 400 return and stay for NASCAR? You're trying to get us in trouble. Stop it. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, it'll, look, look, man, wait, wait a couple weeks. <laughs> wait a couple weeks. You got good news coming. <laughs> Cornchella. 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 We'll talk about, we'll talk about the brickyard when the time comes. Cause I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I have. I have a lot of thoughts about the Brickyard. In fact, I may be Amazoning a professor uniform and a whiteboard just to just to get my thoughts out about the Brickyard. Because the Brickyard, you, you can't just run a NASCAR race. That ain't good enough. But anyway, Cornchella, baby. Let's do Woo! it. I'm excited. IndyCar is on an oval. IndyCar is on an oval. Two races on an oval. On Iowa Speedway, I love Iowa Speedway. That track is mini Texas, but Texas of like 2007. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. So thank you guys so much for listening to the David Land podcast. If you did enjoy, leave a rating or a like on this video, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you guys. We'll see you.